Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. I never remember which way I think is the future, so the future is out there. There we go. Welcome, everybody on my panel. I haven't introduced you yet, but do me the honor of waving hello to Facebook, waving hello to LinkedIn. It never ceases to amaze me how difficult it is to get to live stream, but we are there. I'm watching us on Facebook, and everybody looks great, and on LinkedIn as well. So let me give my opening, and then we will have my four esteemed guests introduce themselves. We're talking about creativity today. What? You think you're not creative if you're not a singer, if you're not a dancer, if you're not an artist, you're not a designer. Well, guess what? We're all creating our lives every minute of every day, and we're all in improv freefall. Whether you like it or not, that's the way it is. I figured that out after years of comedy and improv and radio and TV producing and those things. So let me give you a couple of background quotes here. Buzz number one. This is from Forbes. We just froze, but I'm going to keep talking because we will unfreeze. Since technology is only going to advance, the question is, what will be the most coveted skill of the future? Now, everybody listen up who's thinking if you're in college, if you're in any kind of a school level, what are you going to need to succeed in the world? The answer is creativity. Why? Because a computer lacks imagination or creativity. It cannot dream up a vision for the future. A computer also lacks the emotional competence that we people, we human beings have. So this woman named Anna Powers is the author of this article on Forbes.com. She says, we must embrace and develop our creativity and then use technology to creatively solve the problems of the world. I thought that encapsulated everything. Meg, one of my panelists, likes that. DC is waving and smiling. Yes. Buzz number two. This is from the same Forbes article. Listen up. When you think of the old masters of art, Pablo Picasso, Rembrandt, Van Gogh, their paintings are very, very, very costly, very expensive. Why? Because they had innovation and creativity for their time, even for our time. Leonardo da Vinci's painting, Salvador Monday sold for, everybody sit down. You're going to like this, Charles, $450 million, $450 million. That's, that's a lot of houses and cars and airplanes and all that. Why did they pay that much? They were buying a trace of da Vinci's genius his vision, his creativity through the painting. That's also Forbes. Now I have a a quote from thefutureofcreativity.co.uk. Listen up. During the pandemic, creativity has arguably never been so rich, whether it was advertisers producing innovative ways to reach their consumers. We know people had to get really creative. Businesses finding ways to operate under unprecedented circumstances. Remember the distillers that went into hand sanitizing production because they had the, had the chemicals and nobody was coming to the bar. And people looking for ways to communicate, entertain, and feel close to their loved ones. We all had to reinvent and create everything. One more quote. This is from medium.com. I didn't know this, but the creative economy industries, I've never heard of this before, are design, fashion, media, and a lot of innovative businesses. But employers from all domains are making their way to creative colleges to hire people who can bring innovation and design thinking to their organizations. The the warning here is everyone must sit up, take note, and make the required shifts to ensure they are ready to be leaders in the future economy. Creativity is the word. 
raise your hand and wave when I call you Meg Haftal. Hello, Meg. There she is. H-A-F-D-A-H-L. If you can't see us on LinkedIn, welcome, Meg. DC Gomez. Hello, DC. Welcome. I, I You didn't put periods after your initials. I've got them in my notes here. We'll talk about that later. We have Charles Brakefield. Charles, you have the honor, I hope, of being here two weeks in a row. You were on my show about NFTs last week and you saved the day by showing up on 45 minutes notice. Charles is a hero. And then we have Mark Leslie Lefebvre. Did I say it right, Mark? I got it. I have to spell this for everyone. It's L-E-F-E-B-V-R-E. There we go. And I'm going to ask them for their take on the title of the show is very, very long today. The future of creativity. Is technology sweetening or squelching, helping or hindering defending or defeating. You like that one, DC? I just kept expanding the title. So the future of creativity and tech, that's what we're talking about. I'm Bonnie D in the house. So happy to have all of you here. Let's get started. Meg Hoftal, you are up first. I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to risk putting you on speaker view with the freezing. I'm not sure. Meg, would you please take about three minutes? Tell us who you are, what you do. I know you're a very, very creative professional. And Meg, why are you here talking about creativity and tech? Go ahead, Meg. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. And with that title, I think you should help me title my next book, actually, because I love the title. Um, yeah, so I, I'm Meg Hoftal, as, um, as you know, and I am an author. I'm a screenwriter. I'm a podcaster. Everything I do is in the creative sphere. Um, I write both fiction, novels, short stories. I write nonfiction. I write uh, the science of uh, horror book series with my best friend, Kelly Florence. Um, our latest book, The Science of Witchcraft, just came out uh, last week. And um, I write screenplays. Um, and so that in of itself means I have to learn a lot about technology. And I'm a podcaster. Um, everything I do is from a horror point of view. I'm a huge uh, spooky fan. And so um, that is really at the heart of who I am. And creativity is really what makes my heart beat. Um, it's what I live for. I love telling stories, especially about, you know, female driven um spooky stories. That's what I love. And I'm here because technology is a huge part of what I do, which I never really thought as a creative it would be. But it's how I talk to my fans, people who read my books. It's again, you know, I've learned as a screenwriter that I have to learn about technology of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, with podcasting, I've had to learn so much about technology. Thankfully, my friend who podcasts with me is even better at that. Um, but I'm, I'm lucky to have her. But yeah, I'm, I'm here to, to just talk about how much I love creativity. And I believe that technology is really helping um, the creative process. It certainly is for me. And it helps me find, you know, my my people, which is something I think probably all of us can admit. When I was younger, the internet didn't exist. And it's a lot easier to find people with, you know, shared interests, I can find my horror people. So uh, yeah, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of creativity and technology. Thank you, Meg. And I wanted to compliment you. The way you're sitting in front of your background, you've got a couple of your books there, very well done. But the word author is to your right and the word podcaster is to your left. And it just, I don't know if you designed it that way, 
but not now. You, to, in mine, you can see sort of part of part of technology and part of revolution. You can't see the future of now. But my point is that that was very well done. And I'm going to say something. I'm going to go out on a limb here, Megan. I'm going to say I'm horrifically happy to meet you. I'm sorry because of, or meeting you is a very spooky experience. I'm trying to make a pun here, and I think it's falling down flat. But I'm trying to be creative. Meg, we're delighted to have you. Thank you so Thank much, you. DC Gomez. Oh, by the way. Who did I forget to thank before we started the show? Who Who is the behind the scenes of all of you being here? It's Mickey Mickelson at Creative Edge. Everybody give Mickey a round of applause. I hope you're happy to be here. Mickey has become my partner on many of my shows in terms of sending me really interesting and, in this case, very creative people to be on the panels. And I appreciate he always comes through for me. So, Mickey, you're a hero. And I appreciate you and all of these wonderful people here because of Mickey. Yay! DC, you're up. Next, DC, I want to know what, if you can tell us, is there a secret behind DC and why sometimes there's a period after the D and the C? Introduce yourself. Tell us about your creativity and tech. Go ahead, DC. Hi, Miss Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be in this panel. And yes, I love Mickey. I send him messages all the time like, you're amazing. Thank you. The reason there is, so DC is actually my middle name. So a quick note for everybody, I'm an author, I'm like Meg, a podcaster, I'm also a motivational speaker and a coach. When I started writing, I live in the Bible Belt, so quick note for everybody, which is exciting and fun, and some started writing urban fantasy. So at the time, you know, we talked about creativity and how it applies to us, you know, I needed a creative way to still be in the Bible Belt and be able to represent my community and not offend anybody because of what I was writing. So DC is actually my middle name or my pen name. And it's Del Carmen. So Spanish for, of Carmen, for a quick note for everybody, practice your Spanish in there. And why does it have a period and it doesn't? It depends on the mood. I let the spirit influence me. So the covers of my books doesn't have a period. The inside does. So I just kind of flip-flop and see who notices. That's absolutely fascinating. I, I, there were so many remarkable things in your bio, like you're in the Bible Belt, but you don't want to offend anybody. We're, we don't do politics on the show, but OM, let's leave the last letter out, and, and Mark can't help himself but laugh. Charles, you can smile now. It's okay. Charles takes this very seriously. I appreciate that. DC, very interesting that you, the period before and after the D and the C mm-hmm. is, is at your whim on the cover. It's not inside. I did notice I didn't know, and I wanted to be respectful about that. Sometimes if you notice my name here on the Zoom screen, the D doesn't have a period, but most of the time I do. Sometimes I spell my name all in lowercase in some of my signatures and sometimes in uppercase. I usually introduce myself on the show as Bonnie D. On my Monday night radio show, which is called Read My Lips, Cool Conversations with Creatives, which you all could have been on this Monday night, I'm AKA Radio Red. So it's small AKA, capital R for radio, capital R for red. I shouldn't be telling people that. That's my alter ego. But I use that and people say, Bonnie, and I say, no, I'm red. So I'm red, radio red, AKA radio red. So I I have never met anybody who alternated with the, the exact format of their name besides me, DC. Lovely to meet you. Thank, thank you for giving us all permission to create the branding any yes. way we want and make it variable. Very interesting, right, Meg? This this is refreshing. We're already being creative. Charles Brakefield. Charles, I have a special message for you. Okay. I have a feeling that there might be 4.3 people in the world who don't remember you from last week. 
because so many people heard you and saw you. So would you please talk to no, Charles, introduce yourself. I was going to say, talk to those 4.3 people because they really, they weren't there last week. Shame on them. So Charles, go ahead. I'm putting you on speaker view and tell us who are you? Why are you here? What does creativity and technology mean to you? Charles, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, my role in the uh, tech- technical world is a solution architect. And what I do is voice and data um, solutions, problem solving, basically, is where, uh, where I get the, the most uh, uh, excitement, I guess, probably the best way to be able to put it. And part of that education and that uh, real-time view of uh, other people's networking problems mm-hmm. helps create a, um, a nice uh, soup, if you will, of technology solutions problems and then uh in my uh my after hours after regular work is done i get to be able to be creative and take some of those uh those threats and cyber bad guys versus cyber good guys and put them into the in the enigma series and that's where uh, a lot of the uh, inspiration comes from so um the reason i'm here is because you know i am brought in because i can be creative not only in the uh in the writing uh, standpoint from writing standpoint, but also in the uh, the network engineering ro- uh, realm. So, um, a fun uh, fun time because uh, you get to play with all the toys that uh, uh, people will see next year or, or the year after that, or maybe the decade after that for some of the stuff that I'm looking at. So, again, thank you, Bonnie, for uh, inviting me back. Delighted to have you. And do we have, uh, is that Rox, Rox Berkey? Is she a colleague or a friend of yours? Because she thanked me for having you on last week. Who is she? Oh, yeah. She, she's my co-author. Um, you know, we've been in the, the technology world for, uh, you know, well, since the first part of the century. So uh, it's uh, it's been, you know, kind of a wild ride because, uh, you know, she's a, a, a techno geek like, uh, like myself. And so if I have something that I can't figure out, I'll talk with her and she has something. If she can't figure out, she'll talk to me, and and then uh, then when we're we're having our our favorite adult beverage uh, in the late afternoon. Well, we're talking about the next story we're going to craft and what it's going to include, and so um, and some of the uh, threats get baked into that, and some of the character studies uh, that we uh, we pull together. Um, she is the uh, the alter ego that uh, that I need to be able to uh, keep me from being uh, you know uh, too serious. Thank you. That's interesting. Okay. I had never had an introduction. She was originally going to be on the show and then she said, no, Charles will do it. So I got to meet you. Thank you. By the way, have all of you met each other before through Mickey? Do you know each other? Is this the first time? Anybody know each other here? Meg and DC and Charles and Mark? No? First time. First time. Very interesting. I like that. That's what happens on most of my shows. People don't know each other. And I like to see that chemistry, just spontaneous chemistry evolve during the show. And and that's why I do this roundtable format. Mark Leslie LeFave. I'm still saying it right. I want a gold star for that, Mark. Thank you. You trained me well. There, I appreciate it. Mark, let's hear from you. Who are you? Why are you here? What does creativity partnered with technology mean to you in your life? Go ahead, Mark. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much, Bonnie. Uh, so I've been, I've been a writer my entire life. I, I have worked in the book industry and got my very first story published in 1992, so 30 years. And throughout my role in book selling, technology and creativity have always merged together. I remember being a manager of an independent bookstore and purchasing an espresso book machine. 
applying technological solutions to creatively finding ways to compete with the Amazons of the world to bring a book and print it in 15 minutes right in the store, as opposed to the 24-hour shipping. I am a director of business development for draft to digital which is really a company that's about providing technological solutions so that writers can go back to doing what they do best, which is the creativity and not getting hung up on all of those things. Wherever technology is, creativity is a partner with technology. And I look at technology as a bit of a tool, no different than the tools when you talked about um, uh, a chisel or, or a paintbrush or a pen. And, and I think that we have great opportunities when it comes to that. I'm also really excited because I didn't even realize uh, how into horror Meg was. I actually removed a bunch of the skulls from my background because I didn't want to be too horror-esque because I also write scary stories. I write true ghost stories. I write horror novels, urban fantasy, and I also have a series of books for writers tied into my stark reflections on writing and publishing podcast where I look at the business of writing and publishing. I'm just so, so excited to talk to uh, this amazing uh, panel uh, and all of the things we're going to explore, all the creative things we're going to explore, not just changing the wh whether or not we put a period in our name or not, but that's just a perfect <laughs> example of how we're constantly pushing the boundaries with creativity and technology. Thank you very much, Mark. Pleasure to have all of you here. I appreciate it. I'm noticing when you're not talking, you're all going on mute. That tells me that you're all very aware of noise, of podcasting. You're all pros. And I haven't had a panel that did that automatically, I don't think, ever. So thank you very much. I'll give you a tiny bit of background about me. My listeners are probably tired of hearing this, but I'm considered an early woman in tech. I was, back in the day, what they called a programmer analyst working for the State of Oregon Community College Division, and I was creating programs in COBOL on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5, and I had to key punch my cards, 2,000 cards for a program on 80-column Hollerith cards in a box, and you gave it to the, op I know DC, gave it to the, uh, the uh, computer operator, and he would feed the box into a card reader, and it would read the code in the punched holes. And, and I was also, I have two degrees in computer programming and operations, but I learned to code in many different languages, and I ended up running the whole system for the, the Community College Division of the state uh, about two years later. It was very, very interesting. But I want to tell you that in those days, data was conveyed to the computer on a disk drive, and I had to stand up on a step stool and climb up on the step stool. I, I sewed all my clothes. I had skirts with a slit up the side a little bit, not too risque, but very, very pretty professional, and in high heels, and I had to stand the step stool, and the disk pack was this big with a handle on it, like a cake carrier, and I had to put it into a drive that was a great big pack, and you dropped it in and then you turned it and the door closed and then the operator was able to run the data on the drive. That's what life was like back in the day. And then I graduated to some other place where I was able to actually type my code into a car, into a computer and it was read in then and we didn't have to carry those cards. So I'm an early woman in tech and I have seen and people say, oh, you need a lot of math to be a programmer and you need to be very, no, creativity. Mark, I was told, a, a consultant called me and said, okay, draw three lines here, or draw four columns here, you're going to write this report. I had to create the code to build that report with the data. It was a blank slate. It was a tabular rasa. Nobody said to me, you have to put this here. I got to name the fields. I got to use COBOL the way I wanted. I used to say, 
jump up and down, Eureka, when I got a program right. It was so exciting. And people never thought about, oh, you have to be really technical to be a programmer. No, you had to figure out how to get from point A to point Z and create the story in between to get the results. So I come, I go way back in tech, and now I'm a host of, of over 50 radio series and a producer, and boy, has life changed. I'll tell you that. Let's go to the opening quotes. I've asked each of you to send a quote from a movie or a TV character or a song lyric. Meg, you have outdone yourself. I've never used this word on my show. Meg is just breaking the mold here. The quote is from Vera Donovan, played by Judy Parfit. Speaking to Dolores, played by Kathy Bates, talk about horrific, the movie Dolores Claiborne, 1995. I've never heard of it. American psychological thriller drama. The plot is a strained relationship between a mother and a daughter through flashbacks after her daughter arrives to her remote hometown on a main island where her mother has been accused of murdering elderly Vera Donovan, for whom she has been a care provider and a companion. Kathy Bates said her performance as Dolores was her favorite ever in her career, Meg. And in 2013, Time named the film among the top 10 greatest Stephen King adaptations. Okay. And here's the line. Sometimes, Dolores, sometimes. You have to be a high-riding bitch to survive. Sometimes being a bitch, I should say biatch. Sorry, it's already out there, LinkedIn. Sometimes being a biatch is all a woman's got to hold on to. Meg, it's about time somebody quoted this movie on my show after all these years. So bravo. Everybody give Meg a round of applause for bringing that. Yeah, yeah. Meg, you're my hero today. Meg, you got to explain. What does this have to do with creativity? Go ahead. Um, what does it have to do with creativity? Well, um, I'm really big into, for me personally, um, complicated female characters and, um, Dolores Claiborne is one of them, actually all the women in that novel. Um, and when I read that novel as a teenager, it, it very much inspired me. And, um, you know, I wrote a book called the science of women in horror. Um, and, we call it our feminist manifesto. Uh, basically, it's hard being a woman, and it's hard being a woman in technology and in creativity. And sometimes, um, sometimes being a bitch is all a woman has to hold on to. And sometimes people are going to say that's what you are, even though you're just assertive and just trying to get get through and and maybe be a boss. And um, so I think. I, I bet you it resonates with a lot of people that quote. And um, someday I would like to have it stitched on a pillow. In, and have it in, on my couch because I love I, it. That's like I my favorite. I think we can arrange that for you. I think we'll all get a needle with a little thread and Mark Thank will take you. one yes. color and Charles will take one, DC will take one and, and Meg, you can tell us where to where to do the letters. I like that very much. I think okay. the quote is great. Thank you very much. And DC has gone the, the extra mile as well. She's got the F-bomb in her quote. Ladies, you're really breaking the mold. You're pushing the limits. The attribution is Matthew the Raven, who was Dream's emissary, voiced by Patton Oswalt, very, very much a man in entertainment, in comedy, and, and in drama, The Sandman, 2022. This year, American fantasy drama TV series on Netflix. This is from episode five. Sandman is based on the comic book by Neil Gaiman, published by DC Comics. Efforts to adapt it, I have to tell you this, DC, efforts to adapt it to film began back in 1991 and floundered, this is right off Wikipedia, 
floundered in development hell for years. Charles, they actually wrote that on Wikipedia, development hell. I couldn't believe that. Warner Brothers shifted the focus to TV, and Netflix said, okay, we'll produce the series. It's fine. Here's the scene. Morpheus slash Dream is losing his battle with Lucifer. The raven gives him a pep talk to remind him that dreams are more powerful than anything in this universe. Here's the quote. You know what can survive the anti-life? You. Dreams don't die. Okay, DC, rescue me. Go ahead. How'd you find this one? What does it have to do with creativity? (gasps) Go ahead. This is probably one of those reminders for anybody, whether you find yourself to be creative or not, to believe, to truly believe in something bigger than ourselves. And I think dream is one of those. So when I have become addicted to Neil Gaiman, he's officially like my sole author, love him to death. So when this series came on, I was like, I need to binge this. And I normally don't. So when this episode comes down and, you know, dream or Morpheus goes down to hell, we can do that literally or metaphorically. Every single one of us has had those days where we take that walk down to that pit of despair and say, you know, everything's falling apart. He goes in there in search of his tools. And, you know, as an author, I find myself like, what tools do I need? Or getting lost in the shiny objects you asked about technology. Technology is amazing in so many different ways, but it has shiny objects and we get SOSs and we get lost trying to find those. So Dream going down to hell to go find it and having to battle Lucifer for everything he has. And at the end of the day, everything he has is in his soul. And that's the only place to find it. And then you have the one character that he keeps trying to send away. I'm like, you need to go away because you're going to die here with me. So Matt literally has to look at his boss and said, you know, you can't die because then I'm stuck in hell by myself. So get up <laughs> because at the end of the day, dreams don't die. And that's just resonated in so many different levels. And I was like, Neil Gaiman nailed it again, because what better line to remind you what dreams are all about. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. They they say that we're, let me just quickly go around the table before I get to Charles and, and Mark for your quotes. They say that schools that wrote learning, that very institutionalized learning, which I think schools are getting away from now, they're trying to, is killing creativity in our children. We tell them, grow up, learn this, take this test, do this homework. You have to draw between the lines and paint between the lines and do this. It's killing, do, do you think that schools are, are, Squish, this is our, our topic, creativity and technology. Is it helping or hindering, defending, defeating? Is it squelching? Is it sweetening? Let's just go around the table. Do you think schools, let me start with you, Charles, and then Mark, and then uh, Megan DC, to, just to keep the order going around. Charles, are schools, just take one minute, Max, are schools squelching creativity in kids? Yes or no, and why? Charles? I believe they are. And it's uh, it's processing machine. I mean, even the the the, uh, the protest from uh, from some of the uh, parents and even some of the uh, the the graduates uh, coming out of school saying, um, not everybody wants to go to college. Not everybody needs to go to college. Why can't I be a tradesperson? Um, I want to be a welder. I want to work with my hands. That was mm-hmm. the, the the first thing that uh, I wanted to do when I got out of high school, in case. I failed at uh, at something, and I, at least I could drive nails and roof for a living. Thank you. Interesting perspective, Mark. Go ahead. I uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think the schools, the institutions, all of the, all of the boards, and all of the panels, and all of those rules and everything are squelching creativity. What's helping creativity are teachers and their creativity. My own life, there are teachers I remember, it didn't matter, a math teacher that taught me that math could be creative because I didn't get it and I didn't understand it. There are teachers from, doesn't matter what subject they teach, so long as they approach it with creativity and inspiration, they will continue to balk against 
that stifling that the education system is forcing on them. And that's uh, so I think there is hope in those people because of their creativity. Beautifully put. Thank you. Meg, what are your thoughts? Well, I have a a 15-year-old and an (laughs) 11-year-old, and I I like what Mark said about, I think that individual teachers, a lot of them are actually, you know, promoting creativity. I think as an institution, yes, I think that it's too much wrapped up in going to college, as Charles said, a four-year college, and um, it's about math and science, which are great things, um, but we're kind of losing that time. They're, they're spending so much time sitting and listening and not enough time thinking and creating. And um, thankfully, there are some great teachers out there who are recognizing that. So that's, that's a big deal as a parent, for sure. Thank you. DC, thoughts on school, squelching or sweetening creativity in kids? What do you think? It depends on the school. I have actually been very lucky to be part of some schools that the STEM programs that they're focusing on add the creativity. They want the kids Mm -hmm. to be innovated and have Mm -hmm. these labs. The problem that I'm seeing a lot is the focus on standardized test testing. We want our kids to pass these tests so much that the teachers are finding their entire curriculum focused on how do I get to all these answers? Because if not, my class is going to get cut and something like that. Instead of giving a curriculum for a teacher, like Mark said, to create these lessons that connects with a student at a different level, because everybody doesn't learn the same. So while we give them tools to be amazing, then we give them restriction of what they can talk about. So you have creativity at a limited portion of what they can do in order to keep their job. So it's a contradiction in the system. I'm impressed. I threw that question out into thin air. You all answered it beautifully. And I got four different perspectives, four di- similar points of view, but four different approaches to answering it. You all created your answer in your own way. See? See, Mark? Yeah, I got that in there. Yeah, I did. Anyway, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Let's go continue with the quote. So, Charles Brakefield has sent us a quote. Love this one. It's from Indigo Montoya, played by the one and only, the very talented, creative Mandy Patinkin. What hasn't he done? Spoken to Vizzini, played by one of my favorite weird character office actors, Wallace Shawn. He's just everywhere. If you haven't seen him in Young Sheldon, you got to watch it. He's unbelievable. And Wallace Shawn's character, Vizzini, evil man, keeps saying, inconceivable, inconceivable, inconceivable. The movie, of course, is The Princess Bride, 1987 American fantasy adventure comedy film. Adventure comedy film, they like to put all of those genres together, directed by Rob Reiner and written by William Goldman. If you haven't seen it, go figure it out. It's a great movie. And here is the quote Mandy Patinkin's character says to Wallace Shawn's character, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, Charles. <laughs> Usually people send the quote, the word inconceivable. You sent the response to that. So tell me, what does this have to do with our topic today? Go ahead, Charles. Solutions are very subjective and um, creativity is also very subjective. So, um, you may say, um, I want a, a, a creative solution. I may, you know, I may hear something different. And you may use the word in a, in a conversation over and over again. Uh, give me, give me creative, a creative solution. Give me a creative solution. And that's where it, it occurs to me, you don't know what this means. And I don't know what you, I, I don't know what you think it means. So it's a, a, a contradiction sometimes of, um, can we get the, and this is, you know, I'll slip into the technology world. I need to get the taxonomy right. I need to know the words that we're using are applicable 
and we're both using the same definition. Because if you use something, and it, uh, I was on a call this morning with a, a big university, and they weren't, they weren't giving the, uh, we would say something, they would misinterpret it. And it was the, um, they, they would say something, and then our, our, my people were going, um, I, I don't understand. Um, and so part of that, uh, yeah, that's, what, that's what I do, communications. <clears throat> communications is, uh, you know, uh, let's take, a, take this a different way. Maybe you've understood something differently than what uh, I was taught. So let's see if we can't get on the same page. So in, in the creative world, um, how often have you said somebody written a book? I mean, you guys have, uh, have all had this uh, happen and nobody understood it. Or somebody made a painting and nobody understood it. Somebody made a, a piece of music and they didn't understand it because they were from different points of view and they used the same words, but they didn't mean what they thought they meant. Thank you. I wrote a play. I've written three romantic comedies. I did. I, I went online years ago, and I found the format, Meg, of how do you write a play? How do you start with the scene, and how do you describe the characters? And I just took this template and pasted it into a Word document, and I started at one in the morning, and three nights later, I had a 30-minute play with five, five characters, six characters, and I produced it for my TV show, Something to Talk About, which I did on Access TV in New York for about 20 years. I got community actors. I brought the play. I, I wrote another one and another one. There were three. I love them. They're comedies. They're romantic. They're really funny. Um, Mark and Charles, this is interesting. I decided to produce the play here in my community in Durham, North Carolina. I donated my play. with. They were buying plays. You know, you have to pay for the rights. I said, I'll give you my play. I rewrote lines for a lot of people. I trained people to do the characters. I produced it here live on stage and people did not get it. They didn't get it. I was shocked and amazed. I was horrified. The community vilified me. They, they made mincemeat out of me. They critiqued it almost to death. I ended up quitting the theater club after the third performance because I couldn't take it. It wasn't worth it. But I have to tell you, Charles, your point is exactly right. You're creating something. And people don't think, who is my audience? or To which audience Am I sharing my creativity that will get it, will appreciate it, or will be, say, inconceivable? I like this. Look at this play. It's inconceivable. It resonated with me, or it's inconceivable. How would you want me to like that? So, Charles, great opportunity in that quote to think about that. It's it's not a good memory for me, but thank you for, for bringing it back to me. Let's move on, Mark. I have your quote here. Del Griffith, played by John Candy. The movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, 1987 American comedy film directed by John Hughes. Steve Martin plays Neil Page, a high-strung marketing executive. John Candy plays Del Griffith, good-hearted but annoying salesman. What does he sell? Shower curtain rings. Let's just leave that there. Despite differences, they share a three-day odyssey of misadventures, trying to get Neil back to Chicago for Thanksgiving Day dinner with his family. The film has become a Turkey Day tradition for many people. Here's the quote from Del Griffith. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I talk too much. I also listen too much. I could be a cold-hearted cynic like you, but I don't like to hurt people's feelings. Well, you think what you want about me? I'm not changing. I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. Mark, how did I do? That was a cold read. I had no I got idea. John Candy would have been proud of you. So would John Hughes. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm for hire, by the way. Go ahead. Tell me how you picked this one. And Meg, you've got your first prediction in the chat for you. Go ahead. 
Mark, you're no, up. Uh, I mean, the, the, the quote speaks to me uh, because of the authenticity of Del Griffith. Like, there's the humor of the of the mismatched couple and, and all the adventures they go on. One of my, like The Princess Bride, one of my favorite movies ever of all time, celebrating its 35th anniversary this year. What it speaks to me when it comes to this topic is, is the, the one thing we have is our humanity when it comes to technology. There's AIs out there that can create art, that can do things when it comes to, I, there's a voice of me, a digital voice that, that is my digital voice. That's not me, but it is, that sounds suspiciously like me. The one thing we have that we can power on is doubling down on our humanity and our creativity. And that's something that's really important. So that's why I picked that quote. And I have to say, so uh, poignant when you talked about how quickly you wrote that script, John Hughes wrote the original script, which is 200 pages. They had to cut you know, hours and hours out of it for the final film. Uh, and he wrote that basically in, in a weekend uh, as well. So very much John Hughes and you, Bonnie, I think you're like just in, in synergy. There's a lot going on between the two. <laughs> I am very, very flattered. I'm struggling with a, with a partial freeze here, partial freeze here because I can't get anything on my document. But Meg, luckily, yes, we just froze again. It it's one of those days, kids. Meg, I have put in a prediction for you. Here we go. We finally got Mark on speaker view, and now I'm going to go back to gallery. Thank you for your patience, everybody. Meg, I put a, a prediction in. I'm going to find one for DC Next and put it in the chat. But Meg, let's start with yours. Take about two, three minutes, explain it, and let's see which one I picked for you. You say, art museums, libraries, music halls, publishers, etc., will continue to innovate the online experience so that art from around the world can be enjoyed by everyone. I like that prediction. Meg, unpack it for us, please. Okay. Um, so I'll start with just personal experience. I'm a huge George uh, Romero fan. And over the last couple of years, the George Romero Foundation out of um, Pennsylvania has done online um opportunities, events in which I could see original films that were never released by George Romero. I could see um, pictures that, you know, only people who visit this museum get to see. And um, I think one of the things that came out of the pandemic was this idea that you could go online and you could see things from around the world, you know, that you didn't necessarily even think about before. I know another example is I'm a huge Bronte uh, sister fan and I got to uh, see some things from the Bronte Museum, which I've always wanted to visit, but it's like in the middle of rural England. And so I haven't got there yet. And I love this idea that we're building upon this world creative um, sort of, I don't know, it's like everybody can, can see something from, you know, the museum in London, we can look at things and we've, we've used that on the internet, but I think during the pandemic, when we were all kind of maybe bored a little bit and wanting to have new experiences, we started to realize that we could see things that we didn't necessarily know we could see. And I love that creative people are using, you know, whether it's Zoom or whether it's Google Meets or whatever, that's how it's starting. But we're able to share so much art with each other on social media as well, of course. But I just, I love this idea that I can see what Charlotte Bronte wore at the Haworth Museum, even though it's halfway around the world. And I get to feel like I experienced that with people. And I don't know. It's just really cool that technology can bring creativity into our, onto my little iPad. It's awesome. It, it is awesome. It really is awesome. There are so many fun tools out there, aren't there, Meg, to do interesting things. I really recently created 
my version of a music video by taking my artwork. I'm a painter, uh, collages. What have I got? Collages, I've got watercolors, I've got acrylic paint pouring. I have about 200 paintings. Yeah, when I'm getting ready to sell my house, I had to take 75 paintings off the walls and have the walls painted. To, yeah, don't even ask. They're in boxes all over the place. And I love them all. They all represent something about me. But I took them and I put them into uh, iMovie and I put transitions in between the scenes of the paintings. And then I put in the Ken Burns effect. So you're going into the painting and coming out. You're not, okay, there's a painting on a wall. Let's look at it now, like in a museum. They're in motion constantly. And I have a friend who's a digital composer named Serge Hoffman. And he is composing for Cirque du Soleil. He's composing for Disney. He's doing industrials for big companies. Very talented, taught himself digital music, all digitally produced. And he sends me his music clips and I use them as the background, the music for my videos. And we put them on, I know Mark, and we put them on spatial. We actually have a spatial page. This is one of the few metaverse sites you don't need a headset to visit spatial.io and i can send you the link and we created a whole room with a bunch of these videos that you can click on the wall with your avatar and with your mouse and watch the videos we're doing them for people's pets now we're going to start a business doing these videos but they're not really a video they're pictures that are in motion with the ken burns effect with an original music track underneath them and then i put special effects in meg and into iMovie where I can change them to cartoon colors. I can change them to black and white. I can put spotlights on them. The creativity, who would have thought I could sit here, take a picture of my painting on my iPhone, put it into iMovie, put the effects in, add Surge's music, and put them on a, on a, a Metaverse site. Who? And, and this just came to us about six months ago. And I said to Serge, you have great music. Send me some. I want to make these videos. And we're doing it. And this is a whole new world of bringing what we do to people all over the world, right? Now we need to get traffic. You're all going to go visit the site. Let's go on. DC, I'm looking at prediction number two. You say as technology becomes more portable, aha, the ability to create will continue to expand on all the generations. We're seeing an enormous increase in baby boomers, hello, and even traditionalists. I want you to define that demographic cohort, joining sites like TikTok and sharing content with the world. DC, talk to us. Bonnie, I think you gave us an amazing example of technology being portable. Like, you should set me up for that one. That's amazing. <laughs> but it is the concept behind being able to be created in your own home. I think a lot of the times when we think of these amazing productions, we're thinking 20, 30 people that have to go out and they have to shoot these movies and everything becomes very intense and very costly. As technology becomes much more affordable and much more portable for people, you're making music videos every time. I have one of my friends, her son, who's just turned 18, said, I have my first music videos. And I was like, oh my God, really? Like you edit this on your phone, you did all these things. It is the ability to connect at a new level. I'm watching TikTok that I recently joined and I thought TikTok is for young people. It is, why would I be in this? And you watch all the different generations. You ask the traditionals, you notice that earlier generations before the baby boomers who are now embracing this, you have 80 year olds who are like, no, I'm going to have a TikTok channel and I'm going to say what I want and are doing amazing, you know? So things that we officially thought were based on specific parameters, a bit breaking those barriers. People are no longer finding themselves confined to a specific area. And TikTok is changing the way people see it and the creative and the communication is expanding and being able to connect on a new level. And I love the fact that anybody can do it. You don't have the gatekeepers that we used to have back in the days. 
Thank you very much. Very, And I'm glad I set you up for that one. That was very, very interesting. Yes, uh, the, the lines are being blurred or the, the silos are just coming down. The walls are coming down. It doesn't matter how technophile or technophobe you are. Once you get into one of these, these verses, these places, you can do it with very few tools. Thank you so much. Very interesting. Charles, I'm going to your prediction number one. This is a long one. I'm going to read just a little tiny bit and let you unpack it. You say, I expect to see... The emerging technology of metaverse colliding with the online gaming companies to produce a whole new way of delivering more immersive stories to the general population. This can provide story settings in a virtual existence that readers and players, I want to talk about gaming more, can join via augmented reality AR. Charles, I'm going to stop there and let you take this over. Go ahead. So um, we see that a, a new platform emerging um, with the uh, with the the technology behind gaming, the uh, the high uh, the high um, density uh, gaming chips, uh, more processing power, uh, artificial intelligence um, possibilities where you could take and feed in your um, your your uh, your novel, your manuscript, and have on ramps built for people to join the uh, the story, either of uh, the passive mode or in uh, in uh, in an active mode. Imagine a uh, uh, having written something like uh, the Dragon Riders of Pern, and somebody joining their uh, your piece of work, you know, from a uh, 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 somewhere on the internet to be able to uh, ride with the dragon alongside, and maybe even uh, uh, allow the uh, uh, an active role in your story to be able to change the outcome, different outcomes, different possibilities. Um, the gaming uh, attributes give it give that chance for people to be more inside the uh, the head of the uh, of the story the the, the writer the uh, the technology is there to be able to do that there's precedence for it already but one of the things that um, that this would depend upon would be the uh, the monetization for the author and that's where we get into the nfts we talked about last week and uh, cryptocurrency so imagine um, selling um, avatars or you know uh, real estate or uh, characters in a story, and then uh, turning that into a net uh, fungible token to be able to uh, have somebody take that away um, as part of your your gaming uh, story universe. This is a, it's a, it's a little bit far fetched, but at the same time, there's there's enough uh, of precedence for this already. I mean, we've already got uh, artificial intelligence uh, baked into a lot of the uh, um, medical. And uh, even yes. in the the, the uh, um, lawyer firms, there were a lot of this is just repetitive uh, uh, activities, and so um, the artificial intelligence uh, and the deep learning um, that could be uh, agreeable on some uh, some platform, turning it into turning your property into a uh, an immersive collaborative event rather than something you just turn pages on or looked at on your on your iPad. Thank you very much. We're going to cover NFTs with somebody else's prediction. I've got it one for, for uh, a couple of you already in the chat there. Mark Leslie Lefebvre. I'm looking at prediction number four. You say, as technology helps replace mundane tasks, you, somebody just mentioned that, and reduces the cost of producing creative works, storytellers of all types will continue to re- exploit their IT's intellectual property in new ways, exploring new possibilities and platforms that we barely even imagine at this point. Help us imagine those, Mark. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've been in the book industry forever, so I'm always focused on that. Mm. And, and I think about yeah. when I started in writing and publishing and the typewriter and mailing things away to a publisher and all those gatekeepers that were mentioned before and how digital publishing and how ebook publishing, how platforms like Kindle Direct Publishing or draft digital or any of those places where you can now publish your works directly, you've removed all those gatekeepers. You removed the cost. You don't have to print 10,000 copies of a book to actually have a book out there in the market. That was just the beginning of one of the many booms. I've licensed my rights to traditional publishers for books, but I've still maintained the IP of what created that book. So Haunted Hamilton is a book available through Dundurn, Canada's largest publisher, but VoiceMap, which is a GPS-enabled app that's available on all of the smartphones out there, allows me to take the same research I did to put into the book to create another way to make money out of my creativity, an interactive creativity where you can go on a guided ghost walk with me and I don't have to be there. And so there's so many technology uh, availabilities that make things available. Audiobooks, uh, AI audio, I've got read by the narrator, read by me, so professional narrator, read by the author, and even an AI version, all at different price points so that consumers can have access to what they prefer. I don't care if it's a machine voice. I want the best price. I want an actor. I want a professional actor. I'll pay more for that. And then the other thing, and and I think DC talked about this, is everyone is a creator now, whether they're blogging, whether they're putting stuff up on Instagram or Pinterest or YouTube or TikTok videos. The great thing is you don't even have to have written the material. All you have to do is lip sync to something that's popular. And suddenly you're a performer, you're an entertainer, and you get to feel what we feel as creative people who put stuff out into the universe. Because the reason we, we are storytellers, we're all storytellers. Dinner table, what was, your, what was your day like today? We're all storytellers. Yes. The technology helps us to become storytellers to reach even more people than just those in our immediate circle. I am so if you can't tell, optimistic about how creativity and technology will merge. I'm, I'm glad. And you inadvertently gave us a perfect lead into prediction number four from Meg. Meg, I changed it because Charles talked about NFTs. Listen, this is Meg's take on something you just mentioned, Mark. She says, technology can bridge the gap of disparity and allow those with little access to books, art, or music to be inspired. And here's the kicker and become creators themselves. Meg, why don't you take about two minutes? We're five minutes from the end of the show. So Meg, really briefly, and then we'll do one from DC and we'll be done. Just really briefly, um, I feel Mark's passion. And I I just, I think that the idea that um, kids, especially who don't have access to libraries, you know, who are not able to see concert pianists, who aren't seeing theater in their community, um, that they can't even picture what it would be like to be a filmmaker or to, you know, be a singer as a career. I love that technology bridges that gap and that they can access for free museums, um, all these sorts of things, you know, Vimeo and seeing filmmakers who are, you know, don't have a lot of money and are, you know, doing such great things. So yeah, I'm, I'm very passionate about the idea that it's, it's bridging that gap and that, um, people from all over the world in any type of community can do what they want to do and learn about creativity. Thank you very much. Let's sneak one more in here. DC Gomez, I'm looking at prediction number one. You say, with the inclusion of STEM courses at many elementary and middle schools across the country, 
we will see an increase in creators at a younger age using technology to accomplish their visions. Now, if you're talking about younger age and their visions, that's interesting because we talked, I asked you all about creativity and whether schools were squelching and you're saying they don't need to. So, and how young, their visions are play, right? We don't play much anymore. Kids play. They have visions. They have dreams. They talk about them all the time. DC, you've got about two minutes max and then we're going to start to close. Go ahead, DC. Well, technology is amazing, and I think we all feel it as adults. One of the things that I'm beautifully watching now is STEM campuses being coming up at a middle school, specifically designed to push those creativity boundaries, to help them design robots, and they're doing plays and doing all these things, focusing on the math and the science and how to take it to a whole different spin. So one of the things I'm excited to see is these kids who are 5 through 10 years old, trying to figure out what they're going to do with what we have instilled them at that age and how they're going to take that forward. So I do have hope in education that is going to come back and it's kind of come back around and it's going to give something that they're going to use this technology to explode these kids' minds. And what we're going to see in the future is going to be amazing. I like that. Is everybody optimistic about creativity and technology? Is anybody not? Charles, I know you have a, a view of you're talking about bad actors and, and communication issues and all that. Do you have any doubt that, that technology will help creativity, Charles? I just want to give you one, one minute for closing. That's it. Go ahead, Charles. Um, actually, what's, uh, what's kind of depressing is to see the, the bad actors using creativity to our disadvantage. Uh, malware, shopping for um, coders. Yeah, you, you'll appreciate this, Bonnie. Coders to look, review their code to make it more bulletproof so they can extort more money from people. I mean, uh, uh, OMG, really? I mean, we don't, there's some places I don't need more creativity, okay? And, and the, the bad actors from the dark net is right there. Yeah. Okay, we'll leave it at that. And thank you. By the way, I have a, uh, I might have mentioned this on last week's show, a woman named Patricia Worcester, who is an author as well as, I think she's a ghostwriter and has her own published company, Worcester Publications or Productions. And she has noticed recently that some of her books have appeared under other people's author names, completely lifted, and I, I know, completely lifted intellectual property appearing with somebody else's name on the cover on the book, and it's her work. And it's not just once or twice. It's more than that for several of her properties. And I was shocked and amazed to see that. So creativity, ownership. Now, we, when we talk about NFTs and we talk about blockchain, Charles and everybody, we're talking about this immutable, decentralized source of the truth of who, who did it, where did it come from? Where, did that, where was that fish farmed? And, and where was that hair bow made? And, and who touched it along the way? And is that bottle of wine really worth $1,000? And, and is it real? And is that diamond real? So interesting, the ownership. Uh, I'd love to have you all back. I think I'm booked for the rest of the year, but uh, you'll be invited back for something special. Uh, would you like to continue this conversation in early 2023? About sure. creativity and tech and ownership, yeah. a different project. I would like that. We've got to go. I want to thank Andrew, my engine. Don't we didn't take pictures yet, so stick around afterwards, everybody. And I want to talk to you all, Andrew at Voice America. Thank you for being our engine. Everybody, wave goodbye to Facebook and LinkedIn. Now, here I I want you all to practice wagging your finger, Charles. You've done this before. Wag your finger on the count of three. I'm going to ask you to say no, no, no. So people say the future is already here, and our answer is one, two, three. No, oh. no. Oh. No, Mark got it right. Look at the expression. Let's do it again. One, two, three. No, no, no. Because that was yesterday's future. Today's future didn't happen yet. And we're all going to try to create a better one. Bonnie D signing off. 
Meg Hofdahl. Thank you, DC Gomez. With or without the period's afternoon name, thank you, Mark Leslie LeFave and Charles Brakefield. And a shout out again to Mickey Bickelson. Don't go away. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh